Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor John Banman. Who hears the word sanctification and thinks, oh, hooray, we get to do sanctification today, right? What's, what's the image in your mind when you hear, hear that term sanctification? I think for a lot of us, we think, okay, that means I need to be on my knees on a stone floor and pray for six hours until my knees bleed, right? And then I'm sanctified. Then I'm holy. Then I'm, you know, I've done my my religious duty, and now God has sanctified me. Does, does anybody have any inclination of that And when you hear that term sanctifica- sanctification? It's kind of similar to the word holy. What do you think of when you hear the word holy? Do you think, um, oh, pious, you know, perfect. Never, never smoke, never drink, don't hang out with those who do, right? Is that holiness? Is that what God is talking about, holiness and sanctification? Really, at the, the core of the word, it just means set apart, right? And what does that mean to be set apart in Christ? I, I, I think about this word sanctification, and theologians, when they start talking about sanctification, you start to realize there's kind of two facets to sanctification. There's sort of two overlapping parallel ideas when it comes to our sanctification in the Lord. I think... Uh, a passage that really captures that idea really well is in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, 14 says, For by a single offering, he, meaning Christ, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Right? Look at, notice that he, Christ, by a single offering, a single act that happened 2,000 years ago, has perfected for all time us. We are perfected in Christ. The moment we bend our knee to Christ, the moment we say, yes, Lord, I agree, I'm a sinner, I've blown it, I give my life up to you, I believe in the resurrection, I believe that you rose from the dead, and I, and I confess you as my Lord, we are perfected in Christ. We are sanctified. We are made fully and completely holy by that one act. All right? But then notice that he goes on and says, for all time, those who are being, present tense, sanctified. So there's this kind of interesting aspect, character of sanctification that is the now and the not yet. We are fully sanctified. We are holy in Christ. And yet we're continuing to work that out, actualize that, to use a modern term, in day-to-day living, right? So I, there's a quote I, I found by uh, this pastor named Fred Zaspel. What a, what a great last name for a pastor of the gospel, right? Zaspel. Um, and the quote is, the way he defines sanctification is striving to be what we are. And in the context of that quote, what we are in Christ. Right? So as Christians, we're not striving to be what we are as we're born. I'm going to kind of date myself here, okay? But anybody remember the America song? 
there's a, the tagline that says, Oz never gave nothing to the Tin Man that he didn't already have, right? And that's kind of the moral of, of the story of Oz. There's four characters, and each one of those four characters are desperate to gain some attribute or some character or some uh, goal, right? Dorothy just wants to get home. The lion thinks he's absolutely scared to death and just wants courage. The tin Man wants to have a heart. Um, the Scarecrow wants to have a brain, if, you know, if I only had a brain, right? But as they go through the story, what happens? The one who really shows up in courage is the lion. The one who literally wears his heart on his sleeve is the Tin Man. At one point, Dorothy's like, don't cry, you'll rust, right? And he's all the way through the story, he's just breaking down in tears, right? And he thinks he doesn't have a heart, and he's chasing after a heart. And the same for, of course, the scarecrow, the one who figures out and thinks of what their strategy is going to be and has comes up with the solutions, it's the scarecrow. So that the idea behind that story, what that author is saying is, look, who you are naturally, and this is a very modern humanist idea, who, what you are born as is what you need to attain happiness and joy in life. Of course, the problem with that premise is what? The problem is scripture, right? What does the Bible say about who we are as we're born? It says that we're born into sin, that we're utterly corrupt, that we're completely broken, right? And if we try to achieve what we already have naturally, you wind up with a Hitler and a Stalin, basically, right? I mean, that's kind of the best expression of who we are naturally. We are selfish, self-centered, broken, you know, narrow-minded creatures naturally. But there's good news, right? The gospel. So let's go. Let's look at what does it mean to be sanctified in Christ? What does it mean to be striving to be what we are in Christ? I think the first question is, what are we in Christ? Who are we in Christ? What does that mean? What, what are we in Christ? We're going to be in Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians for this entire message. And we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Uh, I'm going to read 3 through 6. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he has chosen us, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless for him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. One of Paul's great giant sentences. I love these Awesome, huge sentences of Paul. So what is Paul saying about who we are in Christ? Let's, let's go back and kind of unpack this a little bit. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does that mean that we are blessed? If you are in Christ this morning, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What, what does Paul mean by that? What does he mean by heavenly places? Well, he uses that phrase, heavenly places, six times in this letter, right? And so if we look at some of the uh, places where he uses that, I think it's helpful to 
to understand what he means by, by that phrase, heavenly places, and how we're blessed in heavenly places. If you skip down to, um, let's go, 119, it says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, so that's our first clue. Christ is seated in the heavenly places. What does that mean? He's seated. Seated means that it's a place where the king sits, right? And when does the king sit on his throne? When he's pronouncing judgments, when he's ruling over his his kingdom, right? So that's an image, a picture of the rule and authority of Christ. It also means, notice that kings sit down, that they, that, that they have enough power inherently that they don't have to stand up and take action. They can just sit down and, and decree it and order it, right? So we are blessed in the heavenly places. First clue is the heavenly places is where Christ is seated in power and authority, okay? First clue. Next clue, um, if you look at just the next couple verses, uh, sorry, I'm going to get there. I think it is 217, verse 217, if I recall correctly. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to go here, and I'm going to go. Um, two six. So look at chapter two, verse six, and he says, <clears throat> "In fact, I'll back up a little bit to four. It says, but but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us." Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and catch this, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we are blessed in the heavenly places where Christ is, where he's seated and reigns in authority and power. And Christ himself has raised us up and seated us with him. What does that mean? We are seated with him. That means we are seated. We have his power and authority. Whether you know it or not, you are ruling with Christ in the heavenly places this very moment. I don't know if you all know that or not. You are seated with Christ in a place of power and ultimate authority in this very moment. We reign and rule him. Is that a blessing? Is that a, a, is it, are we blessed, spiritually blessed in the heavenly places? Absolutely, we are reigning with Christ. The reality is, is we reign with him in the spiritual realm with power and authority. What does that mean? That means that if you feel like Satan is harassing you or harassing a family member, you have the authority to tell him to go away. You have the authority to say, Satan, go away. And you know what? He has to go away. Because standing right behind you is the full power and authority of Christ himself. And I shouldn't say standing right behind you, sitting right next to you. (laughs) 
right? You are raised up and seated with him in the heavenly realm. That's a powerful idea. Is, not, is that not a, an amazing blessing? Another indication, uh, if, all the way almost to the end of Paul's letter in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, and I think many of you are very familiar with this passage, he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, where? In the heavenly places, right? So God is talking about the spiritual realm. He's talking about not just the future new heavens and new earth heaven kingdom, and not just paradise where all the saints who've gone before us are now in Christ, but here and now in our world, in our reality, there's a spiritual war going on in the heavenly places that we have authority in. Paul is, is going to say in the, in the rest of this passage right here to put on the full armor of God, to do battle in, this, in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm, right? And we have the power to do that because of who we are in Christ. Paul's going to say, put on the helmet of salvation. We have salvation in Christ. He's going to say, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Sorry, put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? Our righteousness? No, the, the righteousness of Christ to do battle. Take out the sword. Our sword? No, the sword of scripture, the sword of his word and do battle in the spiritual realm. And we have the authority to do that. We are blessed in the spiritual realm. Amen? So we go back to uh, chapter 1. Continue this massive, amazing sentence of Paul's. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's given us the helmet. He's given us breastplate. He's given us the sword. He's given us the belt of truth. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places so that we can have victory against the demons, the God of this age, Satan himself, through the power and authority of Christ himself. He's, he continues and said, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, I know this is one of those ones where we just kind of our heads blow up on this, right? <laughs> but think about this. Christ has chosen us. If you are in Christ, you may think that you came to a point of decision and you made a decision and it was your decision. And that's how we experience it. But the moment we confess Christ as our Lord, the moment we bend our knee to him, Jesus is saying, look, I already chose you. Before I even made the universe, I chose you. That's kind of crazy, right? But that's what scripture teaches. The, the way I like to think about it is we're walking along oblivious, you know, in our life. And all of a sudden we see this gate, this little narrow gate. And it says, enter any who may and have eternal life. And there's a cross on that gate. And we go, and we go, yeah, I like that. I'd like to go through that gate and have eternal life. And I, and I, and I confess my sins to the Lord. I say, Lord, you're my, you're my um, Lord. I bend my knee to you. 
We walk through that gate, big celebration in heaven, all the angels rejoice. And if we turn back and look at the, that gate we just walked through, there's another sign on the, on the heavenly facing side of that gate. And that sign says chosen from, from before the foundation of the world. Right? It's wild. But what are, the, what are the implications of that? That means you're not going to make a mistake one day and lose Christ. He chose you. Before the foundation of the world, you belong to him. You are chosen. We just sung about it. I love the worship, by the way, this morning. We just sung about that. He's chosen us. We are secure in him. We are not alone. And there's nothing we're going to do that's going to shake him from that choice he made before he even made the universe. We belong to him. If you've confessed his name, if you have been redeemed and are made a new creation in him, you belong to him. He chose you. He's never going to regret that choice. He's never going to repent from that choice. Amen? First Corinthians, Paul says, uh, or Second Corinthians, sorry. Second Corinthians, I believe. Second Corinthians says, uh, yeah, Second Corinthians 5.17. He says, we are a new creation in Christ. All the former things have passed away. When we come to faith in Christ, we are spiritually dead. We have no place in the spiritual realm other than to be abused, right? But the moment we confess Christ, the moment we become a believer, the moment we become his child, we are a new creation. There is something there that did not exist before. It's a new spiritual creation that's endowed with power and strength that was chosen before the foundation of the world. You were chosen. You were in Christ, you are an amazing spiritual creature, new, powerful, with, author with the authority of Christ. He's chosen us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is the purpose of Christ. He will make us holy and blameless before him. What does that mean? He means he's, he sets us apart. He takes us out of this world where everybody's just trying to be who they are in their, in their flesh, which is ugly. And he takes us out and sets us apart and says, I will make you holy. Be holy as I am holy, and I'm the one who's making you holy. Right? There's... Um, uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to read a little, a little verse ahead in Ephesians, in the next chapter, chapter 2, 4, 9, just to kind of drive this point a little further. Um, chapter 2, 4, 9. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We were dead in our trespasses, but God made us alive together with Christ among whom we all once lived, oh, sorry, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What's our holiness based on? What's our salvation based on? His immeasurable kindness, his work, what he did 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Right? So we are made holy. We are made blameless. He purposes that for us through his work, through his finished work on the cross. So it's not about, you know, getting on your knees and praying on a cold wooden floor for six or seven hours, right, to make yourself holy. We cannot make ourselves holy. We are holy and perfectly righteous in Christ as we are right now today. And there's nothing you can do to change that if you belong to him. You are holy in him. Who are you in Christ? You are holy and you are blameless. Going back to chapter one. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So we've already talked about that. He's chosen us, he's predestined us. Don't freak out on the word predestined. It just means predestined, all right? It still means that we choose him, but in God's infinite capacity, he's able to allow us to make a moral choice that we're accountable to while simultaneously at the same time choosing us from before the foundation of the world. How does he do that? I have no idea. He's God, I'm not. And that's just what scripture teaches us, right? So I just go with that. So he, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. I was thinking about adoption. And you think about, think about a, a mother who has decided to take her baby full term to carry a baby for nine months, deliver that baby, and then give that baby up to a loving family for adoption. Is that not an incredibly selfless act to do that? Right? I mean, to go through that whole experience of having this baby growing inside you, connecting with that baby on some deep level that I'll never understand, some of you gals do, um, and then choosing to give that baby up, that is an incredibly selfless act of love. And then think about the family who's adopting that little boy or little girl, right? It's not like, um, oh, it's not like a, the, you know, that, you, that that baby came into the family as kind of an oopsie, right? Which is, you know, in God's, from God's perspective, nobody here is an oopsie, okay? Just, just to be clear about that. But for the human parents, sometimes it's like, well, we weren't expecting that, right? But imagine an adopted child, what the parents have to go through to adopt a child. We, we have a friend um, who's adopted uh, their girls, all of their girls are adopted. And it is a big deal to adopt someone. Let me tell you, it, it's just, it's, it's very hard. It's very difficult. You know, the government comes in and just really picks your life apart and wants to know every little aspect of who you are. And it's a big deal and it's very rigorous. And they have gone pushed through that for the love of those child, children and wanting to, to be a blessing to, and raise these children up, right? Well, God says he's adopted us. What was the trial, the, the test, the challenge that God went through in order to adopt us? Only death on the cross, right? Jesus went to the cross so, in order to adopt us into his own family. That's what it cost him to adopt us. And we are adopted 
into his family. We belong. We are in. We're not like ah, sitting out on the porch like, okay, we're, you know, we're, you can have the family name, but you're really not allowed in the house. I mean, you track in mud and, and you, you know, make a mess. And so you just sit out there on, on the porch. There's no Christians on the porch in God's family, right? You're not sitting out on the street corner. You are in the family of God. You belong to God the Father forever and all of eternity. We have been adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So who we are in Christ all results in the praise of God. We talk about, you know, our purpose is to bring glory to God. We talk about that a lot here, right, in the church, that what God is doing in and through us is to bring glory to himself. Recognize this. Look at this. Let me kind of just go down the list. What are you in Christ? You are a new creation with spiritual authority and power. You are chosen by God. You are holy and blameless. You are in the family to the glory of God. So bringing glory to God is not about how great you are, how righteous you are. Bringing glory to God is who you are in Christ because of what Christ has done, right? And who are we in Christ? It's a critical in this, this thing called sanctification that we understand who we are in Christ. We are a new creation chosen by God, holy and blameless, we're in the family. And by the way, these are just four of the, of the ones I picked out of what Paul's saying here. Paul, if, if you made a list in chapter 1, 2, and 3, you could, I think, easily come up with 20. All right? So I encourage you, by the way, as homework, read chapter 1, 2, and 3. Right, buddy? 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> and answer this question, who am I in Christ? What am I in Christ? Amen? And, and what we are in Christ is incredibly powerful. All right, so, to, so that, that gives us a little taste of this phrase, striving to be what we are in Christ. The next question is, how do we strive? How do we strive to be what we already are in Christ? What does that look like? And for that, we're going to go Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sins of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, the first idea here, the first principle I want to point out in terms of what does it mean to strive um, to be what we are in Christ? Number one, remember where you came from. Remember who you were before Christ. Remember the amazing gift that you have in Christ. Do you remember what it was like when you first received Christ? How does the song say it? How, how sweet? I'm going to misquote it. How sweet it was the hour I first believed. 
Somebody can correct me if I'm misquoting that. But think about that moment of, of salvation. And for some of us, it might not be, our recollection may not be a moment of it. It might be a season of time. But do you remember the, like, the relief, that the weight that was lifted off the shoulders? And how all of a sudden you found this new joy, this new blessing, this new hope? As we go through our day-to-day -day lives, as we get up in the morning, remember, Lord, I'm not who I was. I am a new creation in you. I'm not lost, confused, broken as I was before I knew you. So that's one. Two, I'm going to go back to verse we just looked at, 4.9. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that none, no one may boast. Point number two, everything I just already said. Remember who you are in Christ Jesus. And it's like, well, John, why are you being so redundant? I'm being so redundant because Paul is very redundant in these first three, four chapters of Ephesians. And why is he redundant? Because we keep forgetting who we are in Christ. We keep forgetting that we are a new creation, that we are holy and perfect before him, that we belong to him, we are in the family, right? We keep forgetting that. And, and number two is we need to remember who we are in Christ. I really want to challenge you, encourage you, make a list. You can start with the, li the list I just gave you. Make a list. Read chapters 1, 2, and 3. Make a list of who you are in Christ. Put that up where you can see it every day and say, Lord, remind me again who I am in you. And I guarantee you, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I don't think it's a weak limb. I think it's a strong limb. I guarantee you, if we start each day reminding ourselves of that, it will have huge impact to the way we strive in our sanctification of the Lord throughout the day. As we strive to be who we are in Christ. How can we strive to be who we are in Christ if we don't even remember who we are in Christ? Right? So check, do that. Do the drill. Take that step. Remember what you are in Christ. Number three, walk in his good works and not your own. Going back again to the same passage, chapter two, uh, at the end of what I just read in verse 10, you know, we have salvation. It's a free gift of, of Christ that none should boast. And then he, and Paul says in 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now notice this. Look at this. First of all, we're his workmanship, not our own, his, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So the works themselves are not even our works, right? They're works that God prepared beforehand. And what do we do? We just walk in them. He's already prepared the work for us. We just step out and walk in it. 
right? And it, it just changes. What I'm trying to get to is getting ourselves off the throne, getting ourselves out of, ah, you know, that, that mentality of the flesh that says, if, if I just do this, then God will be happy with me. If I just do this, if I work hard, I will have blessing and contentment and some full, fullness, right? If I just keep my nose to the grindstone spiritually. And God said, no, you, you already have it. You have it in Christ. You are blessed in the heavenly places. You're already there. And what do you do today? You don't go out there and find some great work to do for me. Instead, what you do is you look for the works that I have already established for you to work in, for you to walk in. Look for what I am doing today in the world around you, in your immediate vicinity. What is God doing? What is the work that he has created for me to do today, this moment? I'm sitting here in my office and my boss is really being annoying right now. What's the work that he has created for me to do in this moment? Well, who am I in Christ? You know, I'm powerful in the, in the spiritual realm. I'm holy and blameless. I belong to his family. This guy could fire me. It doesn't change the fact that I still belong to the family of God, right? And we're a family that takes care of each other, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, through the power of the Lord. That has huge impact on how we live each moment of, of our life. Last point I'm going to make. Walk together in Christ. And this is a big one. Um, Ephesians 2.17. Paul says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who are near. Who's, who's Paul talking about? Those who are far off and those who are near. I, I believe... Paul is alluding to Jews and Gentiles. Those who were far off being the Gentiles, those being the Jews being nearer to God. He preached to those who were far off and to, to those who are near. Notice he preached to both groups, right? For those of us who are Republicans, we think Republicans are nearer to God and those Democrats, man, they're pretty far off. And the Democrats, I think, would say the same about the Republicans, right? And of course, the libertarians would probably say, oh, you're all far off, and we're the ones who, who are near to God. Near to God are, are, are we. But Christ is preaching to them all. Notice 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And I just want to make a point here. Look, we are in a culture and in a society right now that is really intensely divided. And there is a lot of political partisanship that has become really negative and really, frankly, abusive, all right? But as believers, as Christians, it's not about striving for who we are as a Republican, okay? It's not about striving to be what we are as a Democrat. It's about striving to be what we are in Christ, and there are things in the Republican Party that, are, that probably align pretty well with Scripture, and there are things that don't. And I would say the same about Democratic Party. I would say the same thing about independents, about libertarians. There are biblical things that each one of those people you could probably find in there, even though you probably think, oh, there's, what good can come from 
party X, right? And there are really satanic, straight from the pit ideas in the Republican Party, in the Democratic Party, in the Libertarian Party. We are not first and primarily partisans. We are first and primarily Christians. Okay, brothers and sisters? And our mission is to reach all those Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians with the good news of the gospel. That's our mission. Not to beat each other up over politics of all things. Over the talk, particular talk show hosts that we like to listen to. I encourage you and challenge you, find a talk show host that takes the opposite views of what you're comfortable with and give them a listen because there's more than two sides to every story, right? And probably 80% of what both of them are saying are completely unbiblical. All right, so that's just, as, a, as your pastor, I just wanna share that as a reminder uh, for us as a church. I've heard so many pastors, you know, I, I participate on these Thursday uh, pastor video conferences, and so many of them are just grieved and broken over the disharmony and the breakdown that they're experiencing in their churches right now because their congregation is fighting over a partisan political platform, plank. Is that, is that what Christianity is? No, not at all. So just a, a, a little app point of application there. Walk together in Christ. Regardless of political affiliation, walk together in Christ. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There it is again. Paul keeps beating these same drums all the way through these chapters. He wants you to get, he needs us to get, and we need, because our flesh does everything it can, and the enemy himself does everything it can to convince us that we don't belong that we've blown it, we've committed the unpardonable sin. But somehow, we're, we're just not gonna get there. Christ says, I'm gonna get you there. I'm gonna deliver you perfect and holy before the Father, and by the way, you already are. You already are. You died right now, this moment, you are perfect and holy, fully sanctified before the Father. Did the thief on the cross go with Jesus to paradise, sanctified or unsanctified? He went sanctified, perfect and holy, into paradise with Jesus. Jesus said, this very day you will be with me in paradise. Because he understood who was hanging on the cross next to him. It was Christ himself. And he said, Lord, re Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, this very day you'll be with me in paradise. We belong to him. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ is our cornerstone. Who we are is in Christ. That is the cornerstone of everything we are and everything we do in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you, are all, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
Where is the temple of God today? It's not in Jerusalem. We're not waiting for the temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. The temple is right here. Each one of you who have confessed Christ are living stones being knit together into the temple of God, the very dwelling place of God. Not only are we blessed in the spiritual realm, but we are actually part of the temple, the house, the dwelling place of God. Is that not an elevated status? Forget about that big giant house up here on the south end of Corona. You know, that's like, I don't know, 20 acres and 35 rooms or whatever. I have no idea. That's just a get, that's just a shack. We are the dwelling place of God himself. Right? And we are not going to strive well by ourselves. As, as John Wayne, lone, lone soldier cowboys. You know, real American cowboys never herded cattle on their own, despite John Wayne. They always did it as a group, right? And, and, we, and I've said so many times, and we talk so much about the fact that Christianity is a team sport. You are not going to strive well to live and breathe the sanctification of Christ if you're trying to do it on your own, right? If if Christianity is nothing else, it is relationship. And it is relationship with God and with one another. And to try to, to, to walk this road, to, to express the holiness of God that he has already put in you as an independent sole proprietor is, is anathema. It doesn't work. It, it's completely inconsistent with the whole point and purpose, which is fellowship, relationship, being part of his family. We can't do it alone. And by the way, we can't do it as couples alone either. Sometimes as couples, we, we kind of cuddle up together and, we, and as well we should, but we forget that, you know what, we need a community around us. We need the community of Christ around us. Sometimes as couples, we can have breakdown and have tough times, and those challenges are beyond the resources of your marriage. You need a community around you to walk with you and walk together with you in Christ to help you actualize, realize, fulfill who you are, what you are in Christ. I'm not going to say too much about this because Robert's going to be preaching on fellowship. But we can't hear enough of it, I don't think. I think that's one of the weaknesses of the American church. I mean, you go other parts of the world, they get fellowship. And it's not just hanging out and having a cup of tea. It's doing life together. The nitty-gritty, hard, painful, sometimes ugly parts of life, doing those things together. And I think sometimes, you know, as Christians, we come here, we show up Sunday morning, you know, put our best face on, and, and someone says, how's it going? And we know they really don't mean, how's it going? They're just, just being polite, and we politely say, oh, it's going fine. But at some point, we've got to get past that. We've got to walk together in Christ, and that means, brother, I'm struggling. I, to be honest with you, I'm struggling you know, things are breaking down with the kids. 
we've become instant homeschoolers and we have no clue what, what that's like. You know, we, we, whatever it is, fill in the blank. But there are plenty of challenges and, and struggles and tribulations throughout our life, right? James says, amazingly, count it all joy when we face trials, right? Really joy over trials? Knowing that they, God uses them to perfect us and grow us and mature us. But it's very difficult to do that alone. We need community. Have I beat on that enough? On community? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So who are we in Christ? Who are you in Christ? You are a new creation with spiritual authority and power. That is a reality. You need to believe it. You are chosen by God. By the way, you need to believe it because you're allowing Satan and the demons to have something that they don't have a right to. You're allowing to, them to live rent-free in your life. Take the authority you have in Christ. Tell the devil to leave, and he has to leave. Straight up, scripture teaches that. All right, you feeling harassed in your life? I, I don't, I'm stopping on this because I just feel in my spirit, you know what, I think we're giving the enemy too much ground in our life. And you have the authority to say, you know what, get out of my life. And he has to get out of your life as a believer. Amen? So who are you in Christ? You're a new creation with spiritual and authority and power. You are chosen by God before before he did anything else, before he created the, the universe, he chose you. You are holy and blameless. Today, you are homely and, ho holy and blameless. And you are in the family, right? You belong to the family of Christ, to his praise and glory. We praise him and celebrate him for what he has done. Not for our great holiness, but for the holiness he has put in us. Jesus, and I'm going to just finish with this last thought. In Revelation 4, there's a heavenly scene. And all the angels are there. And there's these four living creatures around the, the throne of God. And God, the Father, is on the throne. And there's 24 elders. It's just an amazing scene of God of the heavenly places, right, that we belong to. And an angel, and, there's, and the father has a scroll in his hand, and on the scroll there's seven seals. And an angel says, who is worthy to open the seven seals? And, and the, that represents who's worthy to consummate all of time? Who is worthy to bring this age to its final end? Who's worthy? And it says, no one was found who was worthy. And John, who's observing this, the, the evangelist, begins to cry and weep because no one's found worthy to finally bring all of this broken history to a conclusion and, and usher in the new kingdom. But then the angel says, don't, John, don't, don't cry. There is one worthy, and, and it's the Lamb. The lion of Judah who appears as a lamb as if he has been slain. He is worthy to take the stroll. So he comes and he takes the stroll, scroll from, from the Father. And all of heaven erupts in this massive worship service. He is worthy. He, will, he has begun the process. 
He has established us in our holiness and he will consummate it and he will bring us in to the everlasting eternal kingdom by his power, his might, his strength, his worthiness. And we worship him as we're going to do right now. We're going to worship him because he is worthy. He is worthy to break the scrolls of history and bring all this to its ultimate conclusion where we will know him as, as he is. We will even be like him because we will see him as he is. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I praise you that you are worthy. I praise you that you have given us so much in you, Father, and that you have even changed what we are to those who are spiritual creations, given authority and power, fully sanctified, holy, blameless before you, belonging to your family, Lord, that we can have confidence to walk in the works that you created for us to walk in. Lord, we just praise you and celebrate you in your son's holy name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.